Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 154 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined this week by two co-hosts, Matt and recurring guest, Zach. What's going on with you guys? What's up? Ready to, yeah. talk, ready to talk shop. Yeah, yeah this need was to, an, need yeah, to up you my pick record. Can't keep finishing 500 or less every week. Yeah. Need something to change. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, we all went five and five this week. Um, so I raised records, just carry over 34 and 43 for Evan, 39 and 38 for me, and 38 and 39 for Zach. So, yeah, eight eight weeks in, um, and the queen, Queen's oh, death. This is a eventful season. I didn't think I'd be above 500 at this point. I didn't think I'd be so deep into the basement, but that's that's where I'm at right now. We have to we have to fight our way back and and get towards the top of the table. This happens. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the one week where I just have a absolute meltdown, and it seems like I, I always think it's the upcoming week, but somehow I I manage to scramble it. Yeah, I mean it happens, and like I always find that when I do these pick shows, like you will have a couple of really bad weeks in a row. And then when you're least expecting it and you hate the slate and you think it's just disgusting and there's no way that you escape it, you know, with, with any sort of positive gain, those are the weeks that you like for the NFL that I'll go 15 and one or or 14, 14. And and it's kind of the same way with, with the prem. There was weeks last year where you and I picked eight or nine games, right. And we're like really dawdling over making the decision. So I just, we both just have to hope, well, all of us have to hope that we can uh, get some of those weeks. And in terms of the competition, which we don't have stakes or anything like that set up, but um, in terms of winning the competition, you just have to hope that you know the others see it differently than you do during your good weeks. Okay, um, let's jump into match day nine. Arsenal defeating Tottenham, of course, on Saturday morning. It was an early, early game, 7.30. Here's what I need to say first off before we get yeah. into anything. This game should not be at 7.30. I mean, I, I understand. 12.30, they flip-flop the West Ham Wolves. I agree. I think, well, one, I understand that there's, of course, a time difference, right? But it's still the early game in England, so I I don't understand now that this game is becoming such a a gigantic thing and the viewership numbers for the the PL are so high in America. Why you wouldn't swap this and essentially move it into the prime time slot, right? Which is where Wolves and um fucking West Ham played. Because I know yeah. for a fact that more people watched Arsenal Tottenham than Wolves West Ham. I. I need to get that off my chest because that that frustrated me that I had to get up so early to watch this game. Also, I was surprised listening to your half of last week's episode that you you didn't back your boys. It's the I was first I'm still shocked. shocked too. Looking at the uh, the pick lineup for you, that's it, what caught my eye. It's the first time all season I think that I haven't gone with them. Um, I was a bit worried that we just wouldn't show up, Tottenham. At our number last season, we did win at home, and then we lost away. Uh, and I, I should have paid attention. I mean, I, I, I knew that this game was at the Emirates, but I just wasn't confident. I thought this was a letdown spot, and it wasn't. 
this is a different Arsenal team than we've seen even last year when they were streaking in, in you know, February, March. Um, this is different. This is such a different team. There's so much confidence in every single position. Granite Jaka looks like a world-class midfielder out of essentially nowhere. Partey is banging shots in with the confidence of, of Chabi Alonso. I just don't, I don't know what's going on. This is a totally different team, and I guess we have to give the props to, to Mikel Arteta, but this defense is so improved, and Tottenham, who have been playing with, you know, uh, enough, I would say, uh, Venom up top, just weren't able to get it going, uh, and I think that was a problem. I just watched it yesterday when they played uh, Eintracht Frankfurt in, in Germany. They struggle to get the game off the blocks, and they do play you know, up the flanks and off the counter. But if they can't establish that early, then it's very tough for them to get concrete chances um, often. And, and it's tough. But Arsenal were the much better team here. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to jump into stats, but I watched the whole game. And just on the eye test, Arsenal looked, you know, twice as good. It, it's crazy. Yeah, right off the rip, them getting that early goal from Partey and coming from a guy that had a rough summer and with allegations and stuff and now scoring a big goal in a big game. Yep. Um, I think it was a perfect way to start off. He had the penalty come for Spurs and Harry Kane put it away. After spending all that time on international break with Ramsdale, there was a bit of psychological matchups going in there. And then um, at 1-1 at the half, it was kind of like you could go on either way. Yeah. Um, it, you really could have. But yeah, I think Arsenal on the ball looked a lot better and the styles were very different with the possession-based Arsenal, tiki-taka, and, and Spurs sticking to that uh, robust defense and quickly going on the counters to the flanks. Um, that second-half red card really sealed the deal. That was a bit um, soft, wasn't it, that red? I understand the debate um, with the area like where he struck, but I think the... He didn't come in with the intent of going super hard into that challenge. Mm -hmm. I would have given it a yellow personally. Um, but at that point, it was 2-1 uh, after a Loris error. A bit spillage there. And uh, Jesus mm -hmm. isn't complaining. So, um, I mean, yeah. And then Xhaka with, I think, his fourth goal of the season. At least third. Yep. Yep. Um, that, was, been that was three, I think. Yeah, he's been playing in a more advanced role that I never thought I'd see him in. Um, I never thought he'd be able like to. Bruno Fernandez he's he's playing center forward. I, I like at the beginning of the second half. I texted somebody and I was like, "Why is Xhaka playing center forward?" But it, yeah, it's why. working. I see him in more advanced roles than Odegaard most of the time, and uh, it's a bit concerning for me personally with my fantasy team. But still, like it's great for Arsenal as a whole getting guys like him to score. Um, good character builds, and I mean, especially for his sake, where where he was at the club three years ago, throwing the armband on the ground, and uh, the fan base being totally against him, and everybody wanting him to leave. And now he slowly worked his way back into the to the to the good diet, good side on everybody, and he's enjoying his football again. So um, good on him and Arteta to work together and figure things out. But um, I think we saw history today on that day with the four substitutions at once for Spurs. Yeah. Um, crazy. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was, like you said, I think this was a, a moment for Arsenal to to build off of. It was a big win against a rival, not only a rival, but 
a competitor and where they want to finish in top four and maybe it adds a bit of confidence and plants a seed in people's minds that maybe they could challenge for a top two spot and uh, push City on. Um, it's just going to come down to if, as long as I think if they can compete in those Man City games and maybe split results with them and then hope that Man City fumbles at one point that they can win the league that way maybe. But um, we're only in October. Just to reel it back, but yeah, um, I, I don't know if you have anything else to add on that, Zach. Something different you saw? No, I just I didn't catch this one, so I can't really give you match analysis. But pre-match analysis, the way I decided on my pick, which I went with Arsenal here, was uh, you touched on it pretty well. I thought was the managerial styles, Tottenham uh, under Conte more defensive and welcoming pressure, and Arsenal more possession based and accepting the. Uh, all the possessions they got, so they made great work of it with the three goals. Yeah, and I think it's looking at the the fixture results or the previous results. Uh, the home team in recent years has won this game, so that was that was another reason I liked Arsenal in this one. Yeah, and one more thing I'd say is just um, it's surprising how this Conte system worked well against Man City last year, beating them twice, and now Arsenal against the same team are. Looked pretty in control, especially before the red card. It seemed like they were controlling the game. Yeah, that's true. It is all interesting stuff to think about. Um, I had one more takeaway quick. We'll move on to the next game. It's not City that I'm worried about. It's games like United and games like Liverpool. If you remember how Arsenal looked against City, final fixture those two shared at the end of last year, Arsenal looked extremely good they looked ready they looked prepared and i think that we will show up and and perform that way against city it's teams it's bogey teams that are relatively shit in terms of their recent form that have players that have had our number in the past that's what i'm worried about um and i'm also i am worried about holland i'm not worried about city because it's it's a one-man show there but we'll get to them united's Um, a bogey team yeah i think so I, i really do because Look like look at the way that they just played against against City. They got fucking shelled. They got destroyed. I think and... it comes down to the the positions those players like Erickson and McTominay and Fernandez in the middle. Like all three, I don't think. What what I collectively saw had the, the defensive fortitude to get the job done. I oh. think people made the consideration of if you have to put Casemiro in there with McTominay to get more stability in there. I'll save my analysis when we get to that game, but I, I had a different viewpoint on the Manchester Derby this week, this right. past week. All right, let's uh, let's move to Liverpool 3, Brighton 3, another team that I just mentioned. Oh, I mean, this was uh, this was a tough one for Liverpool to stomach. Leandro Trossard getting off the blocks early with a goal in the fourth. He added another in the 17th. Bobby Firmino struck back in the 33rd. It was 2-1 heading into halftime. Liverpool started strong. They looked more controlled. They looked much, much better in the second half. They scored again in the 54th. Adam Webster with an own goal in the 63rd. And then at the death, when it seemed like Liverpool had taken all three points, Leandro Trossard came just storming through, scored in the 83rd. Absolutely unbelievable performance from Trossard, the new manager in there. Uh, Roberto Deserbi, I believe his name is, or Deserbi, however you want to pronounce it, uh, um, getting a point in his first match as the boss uh, at Brighton. This was an extremely entertaining watch. Um, Brighton don't seem to have lost a step, I think, uh, beside Trossard. 
uh, really, really good performances from Danny Welbeck. Um, Sanchez at the back had a couple of really nice stops despite letting three past. Um, and then on the Liverpool side, of course, Firmino looked really good. But, um, you know, just that back line, there's something going on there. Allison was really good, too. He made a couple of awesome saves. It probably could have been three or four nil in the first half, to be honest with you, if, if Firmino hadn't scored. So um, good performances from both keepers and then both front men, I think, were, were the step outs here besides Trissard. I would say that um, from the start, seeing Carvalho get the start out uh, left instead of uh, Diaz was a bit questionable from Klopp. Yeah, yeah saucy, um, sure. We saw the impact he made coming off the bench, getting involved right away to uh, getting a cold goal contribution um, and just his speed and the intensity he has when he plays is a lot higher than what Carvalho does and um, maybe is more adept to a deeper deeper uh, playmaker role um, opposed to a frontline guy um, for Brighton. I'd say overall, I think they should be happy about getting a point here at Anfield. It's a very, very tough task to do. Unfortunate. They gave up the lead, but um, they fought their way back at the end and um, all their goals came down <laughs> Liverpool's right side. So I would say that I would, I guess, ask you guys, like, is this a, a game plan type thing that all managers should do is, when you attack, go down the right side and just attack Trent. Yeah, he's fucking dog shit. I mean, we, you and I have been on, well, I especially, uh, you've co-signed it a bit. We've been on this train that Trent's essentially a winger at this point. Move Salah to the middle, put Diaz out on the left, and let Trent play right wing. I don't understand what the point of continually starting Trent at right back is. I... I know he's good for England, and he's he does a job for Liverpool, and and was a little bit better defensively in the past. But he he is a straight up liability, and I think the other two, the other three players in the back, play with diminished confidence because they know they're going to have to cover Trent's ass. And if you look at Van Dyke, I found it a lot in this game. He's out of position, and he's missing strides to to the ball that he would have normally been in. Uh, if he had, you know, other defenders that he could trust. And I don't think we can blame Matip, really. Zemeckis is not somebody that gets regular time. Bravo got benched. Um, and and TAA is just, he's not. He's not a good enough defender. He's not. They, sh- they should target him because he sucks. Exactly. Yeah, I uh, I didn't catch this one either. But, you know, as you guys are saying, it's it's crumbling signs at Liverpool. Maybe not a crumbling, but yeah, you could teams say are definitely picking at the cracks. What would you what would you say about Brighton first game without Potter? Uh they showed that they can function and Potter was not necessarily the glue holding the team, but his that Brighton can play different styles of football. I don't think the manager is most of the time I don't think he always is the glue to the team. I think you're always as a coach just trying to get the best out of the players and you're trying to guide them to the right decisions. Um, I think it ultimately does come down to the players and the performance on the field. The coach is just there to support and fight, figure out how to f- get the best out of the players. So um, I think he, for this team especially, I think he's a big loss for them. It'll be interesting to see how uh, the new manager maybe tinkers and changes things, obviously, to his liking and his coaching staff's uh, way of, of attacking. Um, coming from Italy, 
Um, he's done all his coaching there. Um, well, we're probably going to see a, a more concrete defensive kind of style maybe um, and still try to play that possession base. But I think we're going to, over the next couple games, see a bit of a difference in Brighton. Yeah, and, and quick, what I will say is when you look at this Brighton team, you there, essentially there has been solid performances from every single one of these players with the exception of Estupignon who, who got a start here. Caicedo is really good. McAllister has had great games this season. Gross, another guy who's had great individual performances. Same with Solly March. And then Trossard, who's adding to his tally of goals this season already. And then Welbeck, who's playing well in that hold-up role up top. So I, I think that there's a lot of individual quality. You know, these these guys are kind of misfit toys. They've been all over the place. Not really Caicedo and McAllister, but Trossard's been around. Welbeck's been around. Same thing with... Um, with gross. And I think, I think those guys are really good. So for them to get a point here and, and, you know, show everybody that they can still play with, you know, the same, same fervor they were playing with under Graham Potter is, is great. I, I thought this was an extremely entertaining match and it's good to see. I hope Brighton can, can sort of continue this form. Yeah. And they're fourth in the table right now. And I think come January that Potter is going to be coming back to his old club, wanting to bring one or two players to Chelsea with him. Certainly. I think there are guys, Caicedo being one of those guys and Trossard being another, uh, yeah. that, that absolutely can, can bring a little bit of spark into that midfield for sure because they, they're, they're struggling offensively a bit. Good, good win today and good win on, 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 uh, on Saturday. But there's, there's definitely improvements that Chelsea can make. Um, okay, let's jump into Fulham and Newcastle. Pretty ugly result there for Fulham. This game at Craven Cottage was Newcastle's from the off. Callum Wilson opened the scoring in the 11th minute. Miguel Almiron, MLS legend, adding one in the 33rd. Uh, Sean Longstaff scored in the 43rd. There was a goal again from Almiron in the 57th, and then Bobby Reed got a consolation goal uh, in the 88th. What we should say is that there was a very early red card here for Fulham. Nathaniel Chalaba getting a red card in the 8th. Not a pretty performance for the Cottagers. Three shots, just one of those fell on target with 31% possession. For Fulham, 19 shots, 10 of those being on target for Newcastle and 69% possession. They ran circles around this Fulham team. Um, when you lose somebody that early, especially somebody that's playing in the pivot, it can be extremely challenging to cover the holes. We found that here. Mitrovic got subbed off. Dan James got subbed off. Babu got subbed off. Um, and Babu and Dan James are, are extremely quick players. Kurzawa is another guy that got subbed off. That's another quick player and an experienced defender. Um, when you leave <laughs> him Reem and Adara Bioyo in there by themselves with, with subs, it's tough. And I don't think that Pereira played great in this game. When you lose Mitrovic and he goes off, uh, after sustaining a yellow card, I think it's tough to to sort of get yourself back into this game. And Newcastle looked good, you know. Uh, no St. Max. Uh, Murphy slotted in there at left mid for him. And then you had Gimarish and Wilson. Pretty much the rest of the team was at full strength. So. Uh, it's it's tough. It's really tough for Fulham. They, they probably would have wanted a result here. But it was good to see Newcastle sort of uh, pump them and, and get that many goals, especially without having Isak and... Some of the other guys. 
St. Max. Yeah, Zach. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed seeing uh, this result with Newcastle putting out a lot of goals. The only thing that upset me was Fulham getting a late one because uh, I had a couple Newcastle defenders on my fantasy team. Uh, uh, from them. Just for context for everybody listening, you didn't need the clean sheet. I think you're pretty secure. Um, yeah, I know. Ha- having I, Holland, I want the best out of the players on my team. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, coincidentally, I did get a clean sheet for Dan Byrne. He got subbed off before the goal, so they credited him with the clean sheet somehow. Um, love to see it there. But yeah, I think this was a game I thought would be really close and would end in a draw. Obviously, I'm not taking into consideration somebody getting a red card in the eighth minute. Um, it completely messes everything up that you plan the whole week. Um, I'm sure um, Marco Silva was very upset with the challenge from Chaloba. Um, and I think we can't fully take this game into strong consideration for maybe Fulham having a, a start in the downward downward spiral. Um, yeah, they lost they lost Mitrovic as well. Um, still waiting to see if he'll be able to play for their upcoming game this week against West Ham, which is uh, a massive game for them, um, especially after West Ham got their big win. It's going to be interesting to see what they do if Mitrovic is a no-go with a full 11, how they play, because he is such a massive part of their team. I would say top three most key players to their team. Um, but yeah, I think Newcastle's still recovering some guys back from injury. Um, I think we saw a little bit missing there without St. Max. They're getting these guys. Uh, Almiron is coming into his own a bit. Um, we saw after the summer window that everybody wanted a new right winger there and there were the links to about 10 people to take his spot and they they they're riding with him and he's paying them off for it so hopefully he continues on representing the mls and i'm upset with calum wilson because i had trippier listed for a goal or assist on my bet he whipped in the ball and i think joe willock or somebody headed it it was going in the goal Clearly, and Wilson tapped it in before it went in. So, fuck you, Callum Wilson. Uh, but good game. Yeah, had him uh, had him on my bench this weekend. Wish I would have started him. <clears throat> okay, uh, shall we move on to the next? Yeah. Okay, we had Southampton one, Everton two. Now I'm gonna keep it an absolute buck with you. I didn't watch a single minute of this game. I checked in throughout the game to check. Uh, and see how things looked, but I had absolutely zero interest in watching this absolute shitter of a game. Uh, Southampton 1, Everton 2, Joe Arriba opened the scoring in the 49th minute. The next two goals came just five in the span of just five minutes. Connor Cody, new, new boy in town, even though he's 75 years old, scored in the 52nd. Dwight McNeil scored in the 50. Fourth, Southampton seemingly dominated the game with 22 shots to Everton's 12. Both teams registered five shots on target. Actually, Southampton had six. Then the possession was split pretty much right down the middle. Um, When I'm looking at how these guys lined up, uh, it seems that Southampton actually started Mara, who I haven't seen start here before. Larios, another guy. Kaleta Carr, another guy. (laughs) Guys that don't necessarily get a ton of time. Um, and Everton opted for a more traditional lineup here with Adrissa Guy, uh, Iwobi, and Onana across the middle with McNeil, Mopai, and Damari Gray up at the left. 
Saint, the, the back seemingly unchanged. Mikolenko, Tarkowski, Cody, and Coleman with Pickford and Nett. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did, did, do you guys have anything to tell me about this game that I missed? Because I, I, I wasn't going to make myself watch this. I would say this was a pretty straightforward, down-the-middle kind of game, back and forth. Not the cleanest. Um, both sides had 20-plus tackles made, so a lot of dispossession in the midfield, a lot of poor touches and um, miss, miss, uh, miscues in the middle. So this, these, both of these teams, I think, will be that mid-table, lower-end kind of area. Yeah. Um, and I think the result kind of just went went up in the air a bit. You said the, the all three goals in a five-minute span right after the half. It was pretty crazy, and um, things really settled after that. Everton could just settle in. I was surprised they scored two. That's probably the most they've scored this yep, year. That is, yep. Um, but yeah, I think once they got the, once Everton gets the lead, I think that's where they play their best. It's just locking it down and perfect game for Pickford to come back to really lock it in and get the three points. I think these these three points will go a long way, especially against a competitor in the area where they'll probably finish. So, and I I think uh, I'll let Zach say it. Uh, Zach, what what do you think about Gordon so far? That drop off. The Gordon drop off. Yeah, I know we were talking about fantasy. Like you're looking to move him on. Oh uh, yeah, I mean he got passed up on in the starting eleven this game. He came in the seventy fourth for Dwight McNeil. He took his spot on the the left wing, I I believe it was. Or left mid. Yeah, left wing. No, yeah. it was left wing, yeah, they play four three three. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's uh Lampard rotating the squad or just showing that there's competition for that position. I just really like uh, Gordon when he's on the team because he takes a lot of shots. Yeah, he's very he straightforward. And... One, two, maybe three, three a game when he gets the start. Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of hype around him in the summertime, potentially going to Chelsea and getting his value up, especially after scoring a first couple weeks. So yeah, and he decided to stay, uh, whether it was him or the club wanting to keep him. I think that shows that they they got a lot of value in him, and he appreciates his time at the club, and he's looking to put out. I'm a little disappointed with Ward Prowse. He's been letting me down. He scored the first week against Spurs and hasn't really produced since. He hasn't been given a lot of opportunities on free kicks. He gets on a few runs of form throughout the year, but it's not overwhelming over the whole season. When you don't do it, when sorry, when you when you play for a team that doesn't have the sort of venom up top uh, that is required to draw a lot of fouls in that in that sort of like area. Then you know he doesn't he doesn't get that many opportunities in terms of converting free kicks, and when he does, like he's he's pretty clinical. So I yeah. think it, like I do think if you dropped Ward Prowse in maybe like an Arsenal team or even yeah, I don't know if he makes the eleven. Yeah, that's like would that's he possible. would he make like the top the normal top six? Would he make any of those elevens? Yeah, he, he could make United's eleven probably. He'd take Erickson's spot. Yeah, we I, already have that role filled, though. I know, but don't you think... I think Ward-Prowse is better than Erickson. I really he's like him. He's I think Ward-Prowse works a lot harder defensively. That's what I give the edge on him for. Yeah, yeah. it's just because he's younger. Yeah, and, he, and right, he is younger, and he has a, a normally functioning heart. No no hate to Erickson. I do, I do actually <laughs> think that's an issue. Like, it definitely is a problem. I think like Ward Prowse c- could slot into one of those teams, or even Tottenham. I agree. Like, like I do think Tottenham could use a guy like that. 
when you look at like Benson Core or Hoiberg, I know they'd have to switch it up a little bit because both of those guys play like holding mid rolls. But I mean, look how much like they lack creativity and and players in the midfield that are grinding. Like like if you watched yesterday, Conte is fucking sweating the subs because he can't bring somebody in that has any sort of creativity. Like he has to, he has to bring in Hoiberg off the bench and Ryan Sessegnon because, you know, he has nobody else once the other guys are injured. Kulisevsky's injured. They played Son, they played Kane, they played Richarlison, but outside of that they don't you know, Lucas Morris injured too. They don't have any sort of that. So I I actually do think Ward Prowse like I I wish he he would he would get away from Southampton because he is a, he is a high quality player in my opinion. Um. Okay, we can move on. Crystal Palace one, Chelsea two. Despite Crystal Palace going ahead early in the seventh minute, Chelsea rally late with a Connor Gallagher goal to take all three points. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Scored a goal in the 38th. It was 1-1 heading into halftime. The second half was quiet, but Connor Gallagher was able to convert in the 90th minute. It was an absolute <clears throat> just wonder goal. Um, Pulisic cut inside. He beat a guy, and then he found Gallagher. He picked out the top corner from the edge of the box with just a, a, a complete banger, uh, and it was a, it was a great goal. It was a great way for them to win. Gallagher, of course, battling against the team where he spent uh, plenty of time. And what what a way to win the game. Two subs coming uh, coming in and, and getting all three points for you. That's That's got to be a great feeling for Graham Potter. Zach, I'll let you start. Yeah, I mean, it was great motivation for Chelsea to get this one late, especially from Gallagher, who I wasn't a fan of earlier in, this, in, the, uh, in the year. Yeah, I'm not fully bought bought in. Oh, sorry, you go. No, you're good. Yeah, I'm just not fully bought. Yeah, I'm not fully bought in on him yet. I'm still thinking about the the way he plays, and um, it's super aggressive. And we saw him get the double yellow. Um, I think that could definitely happen again. He still isn't fully experienced playing in this sort of team. Obviously, Evan mentioned with Palace, he was uh, last year's Player of the Year for them, and you saw the. The, the applause he got when he come came onto the pitch playing at Selhurst. All the fans were celebrating, congratulating him, come back. And, and even after the game, they still cheered for him. So that just shows the admiration they have uh, for what he's, they, he gave them last year. So, um, But I think still we're getting paid back from that Tottenham VAR bullshit. Oh, yeah. we, saw, we saw the West Ham decision, the, the Mendy kick injury that bit iffy taking the goal away from West Ham and now this with the Thiago Silva handball incident I honestly I think that's a red um he clearly just that's smacks the ball one, it's so tough I think that's more of a red than the Emerson one this weekend I, I agree it's just it, it's a clear mistake he misjudges his touch and and um Edward is right on him and as a last ditch and impulse type of decision, he just sticks his hand out, whether he did that on purpose or not. Maybe it was just pure reflexes, but I would give that more of a red and we got away with it. And he got the assist to a bombing for the equalizer. So um, I'm proud of the boys for getting it back. I'm not proud that 
every single game has to be like this for us to win. It can't be comfortable. Um, but hopefully that comes as the weeks go on with Potter. We saw a big 3-0 win today over Milan. Um, I don't think it was f- the full-strength Milan team. That I think everybody was like very young on that team. Yeah. But still, I think we're, we're still working up and we're getting the points that we need to finish where we want. Yeah, absolutely. That's all. I, I guess that's all you can ask for. I mean... There's no, uh, there's no pictures. Uh, there's a saying in golf. There's no pictures on the scorecard. There's no pictures on the standings. You know, if you exactly. can, if you can manage to just get yourself into position, then it it doesn't matter how ugly the games are. I guess in terms of like fitness and grinding results out, it it takes a toll for sure. You can't do that every week. But what are you gonna do? Uh, Palace aren't a bad team. I know that maybe the standings tell you they are a bad team, but they're definitely not. They definitely have a lot of quality. They have a lot of fight as well. I think they're well managed. So, I think two one's a good result here. Yeah, I'm still waiting to see if that Zachariah can make the bench. The I don't, signing I don't understand why he's not starting. He's, he's good. He, he's a perfect replacement right now for Conte. He's one hundred percent. He would be the biggest midfielder we have, and. He is a massive presence. And... Well, he's gigantic. You know, he's like yeah. six three, right? But pure muscle, yeah. just absolute monster. We we've he's seen like we've tried to but better. Yeah, yeah. We tried. We had Matic who worked out, and I think they tried to do that with Bakayoko before, and that didn't work out. So maybe there's a little bit of iffiness, but that it's not that wasn't Potter's signing. So he doesn't have any. He doesn't owe anything to him. Um, he's got to earn his place and earn his earn favor with the manager, and I think a lot of them do. We saw Koulibaly say that he's up for the challenge to compete, yep. and we, we played a three in the back today, and he got time and didn't really have to do too much. But still, I think Potter's a guy that's very flexible with his formations, and I think depending on the matchup, everybody should be prepared to be called into the team. So um, there's a handful of guys that will play in every team, but still, I think Potter's going to be abusing more of the squad than maybe Tuka would have. That's a good thing. I think you want everybody to be prepared for these matches. So uh, that's good. I, I've always thought that's a great thing about Potter. Uh, we'll move on. Nil, nil. Bournemouth, nil. Brentford, nil. Uh, just five shots on target total in this game. Bournemouth only registering one. Brentford with four. 20 shots total, 13 of those being for the Bees. The possession was slightly tipped in the Bees' favor with 58% of the possession going to them. In terms of lineups, essentially full strength here uh, for Brentford. We had Rico Henry, Ben Mee, Pontus Janssen, and Christoph Eyer across the back with Janel Jensen, Baptiste in the middle, Tony up top. He got a yellow in this game. Brian Ambuemo and Damsgaard on the left. And then <clears throat> Brentford with Solanke up top, Kiefer Moore alongside him, Ranier, Cook, Jefferson Lerma, Philip Billing in the midfield, Zamora, Sanesi, Mepham, and Smith at the back with Neto in net. Ugly game, boring game. They settled for a point each. Bournemouth have now failed to score in any of their last three Premier League home games. This is their longest ever run without a goal at the Vitality Stadium in the top flight. Um, and this this was Brentford's first Premier League clean sheet away from home in over a year. So that's that's good for them. But uh, I think that, that points more towards the fact that Bournemouth just simply cannot fucking score. And when they do score, they give up the lead. Uh, this was an ugly game, and I guess both teams will take a point, but Bournemouth, where they are in the table, I mean, they're in 13th. 
and then you have uh, you have Brentford in tenth. You know, it it doesn't really it doesn't really move the dial for me. I'm sure Brentford would have wanted the three points. They could have actually jumped Newcastle uh, with that, but they weren't able to do so. I think Bournemouth under new management have been unbeaten in their in the four games that since they took that nine nil beating to Liverpool, they three draws and a win. I think they've scrapped the whole five in the back thing and went they've been playing with this four back system and it's worked well to give them more solidarity and confidence in the back line. They've chosen to go with Neto now, bringing him in from Barca instead of Travenier who started the year and I thought did okay. But um I think yeah, like you said, it's they're probably one of the teams that are poor going forward, right alongside Wolves. Um only they're lacking the shots in total. Only seven here and one on target. Um, potentially, they should have had a penalty in the first half. There was a clear challenge in the box made, and the ref did not decide that it was a pen. And VAR came in and told him to relook at it, and he still stuck with his decision, which is crazy because I don't. I think that I don't think that's ever been done yet in the mm-hmm. Prem where. They're called over and they still are like, no, nah, it's not Penn. Um, crazy. I love it, but um, still. Um, Brentford, unlucky here to get a point, too. Tooney had a, a pair of chances. One cleared over the bar from about eight out. Um, Zach, this is your worst team this year so far. You're 0-8. You just can't read the Bs. No, both these teams, like Evan said, are are uh, well. They had an ugly game. I think they're both ugly looking teams too. I can't seem to predict Brentford. And mm. Bournemouth games seem to trip me up because they can't score. So. Yeah, but they're what good for do? a draw. Yeah, you're trying to lead me to my picks with that like, comment. <laughs> okay. All right, let's jump into the next one here. That was that game was a bit of a snore. Um, all right, we had West Ham 2, Wolves 0. The big uh, Italian getting on the board here. Gianluca Scamacca scoring in the 29th, and then Jared Bowen getting a much-needed goal for me and also for his own self-confidence in the 54th. Both of these teams played well. I think Wolves actually had a little bit of violence up top, which is good. Gonzalo Guedes getting that striker role. I think he is probably the best striker they have on their roster with the exclusion of Diego Costa, who we actually saw on in this game. Uh, Adama Traore still trying to break his way back into the starting lineup. We had Daniel Podence and Neto playing essentially both attacking mid. Uh, I ate Noren Semedo at left and right wing back, respectively. Max Kilman, Ruben Neves, and Castro at the back. Nunez and Moutinho in the middle. Jose Salva's in goal. Fabianski in net for West Ham. Paquetta, Bowen, and Corne across the front line with Skamaka up top, Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek in the middle of the park with Cresswell, Zuma, Nawson, and Timo Kerr across the back. Uh, really good performance from West Ham. They were simply more clinical. This was a victory that ended a run of six Premier League home games without a win. It was their first clean sheet in nine at home um, since beating Wolves 1-0 in February. So a much-needed result for West Ham. Uh, from what I heard, they told uh, Moyes that he had four games to save his job. So to come out and to get a win in the first of those four games, I think is great for him. I do think he's actually still the answer there at West Ham. 
it's been a rocky start to the season, but I don't I, I really don't have that many worries about West Ham. I still think they can finish in the top ten. They just need to get a little bit of momentum headed here. And they do have a good team. So to see Bowen getting here and or to, to getting a goal excuse me, getting a goal here, I think is great. And then for Skamaka, your new signing to get on the board as well is fantastic. So good on West Ham here. I think this was a good game and uh hopefully they can continue that that form. Yeah, I have no worries for West Ham as well. Um, I think they've um, bolstered the squad with enough quality players to push on in the league as well as in um, the conference league. They have a game tomorrow too. Um, So fixture congestion will be big for them. Um, It didn't affect them as much last year, still finishing in seventh. But um, Paquetza still kind of trying to fill in. Um, Still not there yet with the whole system and the prem. Um, it's good to see Shamaka score. He's really needed this. The fans have really adored him and brought him into the club with open arms. Um, on the Wolves' side, it's absolutely broken. They've only scored three goals in eight games, only have one win. Bruno Lage, as I thought, got the sack um, yeah. the next day. He's the third manager now to get sacked, and we're only in October. Um crazy but i think i saw this coming from a mile away that we saw nathan collins he was suspended still from the man city incident so ruben neves from the start playing as a sweeper in or a center back there with kilman and yanni in a three back now he picked up a yellow in this game so he's suspended for the chelsea game so they're going to be without collins and neves and now they have a new coach plus pedro neto picked up an injury so their squad is absolutely broken to bits. Um, they're probably going to go with Adama Traore and Diego Costa against yeah. us, which is going to be crazy. Um, oh, the reception for Costa is going to be insane at, at the bridge. I think I think the game's at Chelsea. I don't want to be wrong. Yeah, it is. Um, the best striker at Chelsea have had in the last 10 years. They got Drogba in there. Well, not, when was the last game Drogba played? 2011? I think he came back for a year in 15. Oh, all right. Um, in his prime. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you mean, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, still, yeah. He, He's he had to three... love it there still, I think, at Chelsea. Yeah, he, he loved playing the villain role. And I think the, yeah. the last 30 yeah, minutes, well. he. Yeah, I think the last 30 minutes when he came in, I was surprised he played that much, but they needed him. And I think he had changed the game and opened things up more for them. He's obviously that target man they need. We know Jimenez can do the job for them, but he's out. So. I think Costa is a great fill in there, and it really opened up the play for them, and they got a lot of chances. And Costa could have scored, but um, the Wolves curse. So, yeah, I think they have players that can get opportunities. It just comes down to them not scoring. So, hopefully, the new manager that comes in can change things because I don't think Wolves is a team that deserves to get relegated. But the 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 attacking side of it, it seems like it is. So, um. They're going to be in a bit of a dogfight until the World Cup break, so they're going to have to dig themselves out of the hole they put themselves in. Yeah, absolutely. And they do have a lot of guys that are going to leave for the World Cup, so um, it's going to be tough. I don't I don't necessarily know how everybody's going to feel on their way back. but uh, Okay, I'm going to give this one uh, to Zach if he wants it. Manchester City, 6. Manchester United, 3. Hit me with what you got, buddy. I sat through the first half. I knew we were going to go down. Uh, ended 4-0. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was one or two more than I thought it was going to be. And two goals from Foden and Holland each in the first half on just excellent build-up play. The past game tore us to shreds. I mean, they used every bit of space that they got, and that's what they've been doing all year. That's what Holland's been doing. He loves space. He's a space and positioning merchant. That's the key to his, his success, or one of the keys to his success. But, you know, we got ripped apart in the first half, and I think uh, they, uh, there was a shot of Ronaldo, if you're watching the broadcast, that summed it up. He had his head in his hands. He was he didn't even want to play in the, in the Manchester Derby, it looked like, and, and he didn't. So the second half, they come out. They bagged three goals, but Holland and Foden closed up their hat tricks, and this game ended 6-3. The goals from United were Anthony and... Two from Martial, who's fresh off his injury, one of which was a penalty that he yoinked from Bruno, which I was a little shocked Unbelievable. by. <laughs> yeah, Unbelievable. That, what do I want me to get weak? That yeah. proves to me that uh, whether it was an on-field decision or not, I, I just think it shows that Ten Hag really prefers Martial in that number nine role, and he's going to back him because I think this year is it's make or break for Martial. He's, he's either going to perform well and stick with the club, or he's going to be a bust and we're going to forget about him. He better start against Everton this week, then. Yeah. If he's fully fit, I I think he does get the start. I mean, he's good. I've always actually rated Martial. He's just... It's he's got to channel it. United has been in so much flux over the past five years. They've had, they've had good seasons. They've had bad seasons. They've had mediocre seasons. And it's somehow... Quite a roller coaster. It has been. And somehow, guys like Martial always get, like, left out in the cold. And, and that sucks. Um... So, a guy, mind you, who when he signed for Monaco had a Ballon d'Or clause. In yeah, his I know. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember when they brought him in. I mean, everybody expected him to be like this unreal talent. And he just, it's been unlucky. He's had injuries. He's had just the fact that managers don't necessarily rate him or like his style of play. He's been shifted around from mid left mid to striker, back to cam, back to left mid. I think that positional change just goes to show that he's... Managers can't figure out his role. I think he yeah. plays better as like a supporting striker. Yep. Not necessarily the main guy. Yeah. So now that we have other attackers, we brought in like Anthony uh, to to take maybe not take the heat off of Martial, but guys that I think he could play well off of will definitely help going forward. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also think it comes down to them having six or seven different managers in the last yeah. nine yeah, years. That's, yeah, that that's was part of what I was uh, it's, it's huge. There's always a new mind that comes in and maybe thinks they can fix him or play him somebody different, or they don't They don't rate him. So we saw that with um, Ollie. They sent him to Seville, Sevilla last year on loan and didn't yeah, have the best time there. They just sent him to prison. That was the same <laughs> same outcome. <laughs> Exactly, but yeah, I think just they need some stability at the club. We're seeing um, a handful of the other big teams locking big managers down and making them their guy. We've seen Klopp there since 2015, and Pep, the same amount of time. Uh, Arteta now in his fourth season. I I think it's his fourth, because he finished finished eighth the first two, and then last year they got fifth. Yep. So I think this, yes, the third, fourth year for him. And Chelsea's going through a bit of mix-up, and Spurs are locking with Conte at the moment. So I think they just need to figure out who their guy is and if they can keep him for three years where 
he has several windows to bring in a handful of players that he believes in and also retain the guys that he previously brought in to build a squad that he fully supports and they they have that philosophy so and that's another thing when I said earlier with the squad selection, like I don't think this midfield wa- was able to compete. Nope. And I, I thought they had a prime opportunity to go at City with Rodri out because we've seen teams in the past when City doesn't have a clear defensive mid in there, they've gone ripped to shreds. Chelsea did that in the Champions League. They beat City. Rodri didn't play. And we won 1-0. And they played Akanji and Ake in here who... I don't think are the first two center backs in most people's minds when it comes to City. You'll go with Laporte and Diaz. So, And Walker did come off early with a bit of a knock. So I think there was plenty of opportunities to expose them. It just came down to the players in the middle not having the defensive work rate to to buy into that game plan of we're not going to have the ball. So we have to work defensively to earn our few chances that we're going to get. So I think that's more on the manager to put the correct players out there. And maybe because he did play the same 11 that beat Arsenal. Um, He didn't change the shape or anything, which I thought maybe they should have went with five. I don't know. Well, here's another thing that I thought about. Why would you start McTominay over... Casemiro. Or at least play him and Fred or something. What's the idea between letting Erickson and McTominay play a pivot when you have either a Fred Casemiro pivot or an Erickson Casemiro pivot where Casemiro plays a little bit further back and Erickson can get, you know, involved in the attack or at least play forward balls into Sancho and Fernandez on the left side? I I, I just I don't know. I, I don't get it. And I know it's not that simple, really. And it does come down to what the manager believes. But when you, when they asked Ten Hag, like, what was the issue in this game? He said the players lost belief. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's pretty easy to lose belief when you see an act. Uh, 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 he's not human, really, Holland. <laughs> 14 he's, goals and eight games. He's some other sort of creature from a different universe. Um when you see that and you're like, okay, this guy's converting chances that, you know, li- literally no other human is even getting close to, then like, how, how do you, how do you get yourself out of that like mental coffin? I can't imagine what it is like to play against this sort of creature because the, we've watched some strikers that have absolutely demoralized defenders. Like I grew up watching what, Messi and Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and, you know, Henri did defenders, but they were still able to keep their head in the game. Holland is is something entirely different. I know yeah, we I think- made comments, but I, I'll, I'll gladly eat crow. He is a different breed. Yeah, I think they've said he's already, he's just turned 22 a little bit ago, and <laughs> he's already scored 100 20, 150 something goals in Their his goals. professional career. And at this point, Messi and Ronaldo aren't even, weren't even halfway to that at that stage. So um, <laughs> if he can play his cards right and stay fit, he might score over a thousand goals when professionally. I, like when I sit down and watch him play, like I watched him again today, he's, he's an automatic two clip. 
every game it doesn't yep. matter who he's playing it doesn't matter like who's in the midfield and and what we should say quickly before we move on because i know we've been we've been laboring on this one kevin de bruyne and the holland connection is like a weapon of mass destruction because kdb is good enough to make any run-of-the-mill striker a clinical finisher just with the service he provides but yeah, when you saw it in this game like there was one ball yeah. he whipped around Varane. And Holland slid early for it, but yep. still reached and tapped in right at the back post around the area. It, it's, it's crazy, dude. And I know, like, they're Arsenal's direct competition right now. We're a point ahead of them in the table. But, dude, I, I don't know how how anybody stops Erling Holland. He is, he is truly just so marvelous to watch. It, this must be what people felt like watching Michael Jordan, like when he first started to break out or, or Shaq or like he really Shaq is a good equivalency because he's just like a freak of nature and he, he seems unstoppable. talent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on from sucking on Erland Holland. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, Leeds United nil Aston Villa nil. This one was rough. Ugh, ugly game. Leeds lucky to get away with a point in this one. True Premier League matchup. True Premier League matchup. We had Aston Villa pouring it on thick and fast. 19 shots, 7 shots on target with 57% possession. Leeds registering just 1 shot on target out of their 6 total shots. Rodrigo getting the start up top. Jack Harrison, Aronson, Sinistera playing behind him. Um, with Mark Roca, Tyler Adams in the midfield. Nissen, Coke, Cooper, and Strook in the back. With Meslier uh, in net. I think this is essentially the greatest lineup that uh, Villa can put out here with Watkins, Coutinho, and Leon Bailey across the front three. John McGinn, David Luiz, or is it David Luiz? Davis Douglas. Douglas. There's so many of them. There's three of them. <laughs> uh, and Jacob Ramsey in the midfield with Augustinson, Mings, Kansa, and Ashley Young uh, at the back. Emmy Martinez, of course, in goal. Uh, Sinistera got a red card in the 48th minute and Leeds were just unable to get anything sort of going here. There were a couple of chances for each team that I thought maybe would develop into something, but no goals in this one. It was ugly. It was like Zach said, just truly just Premier League matchup here. I, I thought Leeds were, were relatively awful in this one they've won just two of their last 15 home games against villa uh in all comps so you know they, they don't necessarily have a have a great result or great um history against villa recently but i don't know i, I was expecting a little bit more from them here yeah i felt after watching this one back uh leads were definitely lucky to get the point and that's kind of the vibe uh that was felt around the around the stadium after the final whistle went yeah, it was their first match in 29 days back in the Prem, and after a 5-2 thumping from Brentford, Ivan Tooney hat-trick, and Marsh got sent off. He had to sit in the stands for this one, um, went to the locker room, gave a halftime pep talk, and clearly didn't work for Sinistera, who already on a yellow card decides to impede the free kick and block it, um, gets a second yellow, which is unbelievable. It's so dumb. The the Just the, the mental discipline there, not understanding your situation at that moment and it's poor and it really set them back and yeah i agree with both you a point is something they should be happy with because it wasn't their best day and they just need to to move on with it now they're 
they're sitting in middle of the table. They've been they've shown they can compete against big teams, getting wins against Chelsea, and they've shown they can slip up at times when it comes down to not having key guys in there. And I think having Rodrigo back is huge for them. Unfortunate that Bamford still after a month isn't fully fit to start. Um, it's just very interesting. All the pieces they have aren't aren't clicking yet. And uh, I think I think sounds you, like a, a mid, true mid-table team. Sorry to cut you off, but that that's just what that sounds like to me. Yeah, I agree. I think early on in the year, everybody had a lot of hype because they had such a strong start, and now things are settling down a bit. And whether that's player fatigue or teams figuring them out or something along those lines, um, something just isn't working for them. And I would have thought a team like Aston Villa would have been perfect for them to beat because uh, they have a lot of their own issues. But uh, they were up to the task, and I think Coutinho could have had potential goal of the year here if he scored that that volley in the midair off the crossbar, I think it was. Um, they, they Aston Villa play somewhere to Wolves where they have a lot of chances, and I like their attacking three there in Coutinho, Watkins, and Bailey. It's very versatile, very fast. Um, you have the composure and skill of Coutinho and the outright speed of Bailey, and Watkins is an all-around decent prem striker, so... I think they have the right weapons to win these games. It was unfortunate they didn't, but uh, at the end of the day, like you said, it's a prime prime game, and we get a nil nil draw. Yep. Interesting, interesting stuff. All right, let's jump in to the final game of the week, and then we'll uh, rally off our <clears throat> predictions for you. Leicester City four, Nottingham Forest nil. James Madison goals in the twenty fifth and thirty fifth alongside two strikes from Harvey Barnes and Pats and Daka, respectively. Uh, Harvey Barnes in the 27th and Daka in the 73rd led Leicester to a convincing 4-0 victory against Nottingham Forest, who were just unable to convert on a couple of early chances. 17 shots for the Foxes, 10 for Nottingham Forest, 7 shots on target for the Foxes, and 3 for Nottingham Forest. Possession was split down the middle, but Leicester were the much more clinical team in this one. James Madison... Two good goals. Pats and Daka, a fantastic goal back heel in the 73rd. And then Harvey Barnes with just a, a curler that he was able to get to tuck into that bottom right corner after cutting in in the 27th. Beautiful, beautiful football from Leicester. This is the sort of um, performance that you know they're capable of offensively. Defensively, still some questions that need to be asked. There was a goal that went off the uh, the post early on here after somebody beat Johnny Evans, but uh, they, you know, Forrest weren't able to to convert, and I think Lingard was was pretty shit in this one. He lost a lost a, a ball in the midfield that actually led to that first goal by James Madison, and the floodgates just opened from there. So a lack of conversion from Nottingham and a you know desire to to win this game because of how bad they've been from Leicester was was the. Uh, concoction that led to this really, really convincing win by the Foxes. They're now on four points in 19th. Nottingham Forest also on four points in 20th. Yeah, I would say this is a perfect result for a team like Leicester that we all know should be a top-half team. They have the quality and all all those players they have going forward. Um, James Madison currently being the most notable. He's just a premium player, a face of the league at this point. Um, week in and week out, his performance, two goals and an assist in this one in particular. Um, still in the bottom there. Brendan Brendan Rodgers isn't out of the woods yet. 
Um, they still have a lot of way, oh, a lot of, of the way to go, but this is a perfect bounce back game for them. And for Nottingham Forest, they're still figuring things out. I think this is the third or fourth different formation we've seen them start in. Um, they're really trying to force Jesse Lingard in this team, where maybe I think you you got to think maybe we got to start putting other guys in there. He's only on a one year deal. He's not fully invested into the project. I don't think um, he's getting paid an astronomical amount of money for a team that definitely shouldn't be paying that much money to a player. Um, so maybe I think I, I really think they need to give time to Dennis. Dennis, I keep pushing Dennis. He's a baller. Um, he's definitely got a drive going forward. I kind of see him and Cornet for West Ham playing similarly. They got a bit of an it factor to him. So I think Steve Cooper needs to try different guys because um, I think his leash is starting to get shorter and shorter with uh, the club. So um, we'll see in their next couple games. Must wins, I think, coming up here, um, especially this week. Another Monday night game for them, this time at home. Yeah. Um. All right. Cool. That is all for the recap. We got pretty deep on some of those games. We'll jump into predictions for match day ten, kicking off on Saturday, October eighth at ten a.m. We have four games: Newcastle, Brentford being the first one. There, Newcastle, the favorite in this one, heading to or they're actually at St James Park, so they're home in this one. Uh, I am going to take Newcastle. I'm not going to get caught by the bees in this one. It'll probably be a draw. I know. I think that's where Zach's going to be. That's where he's going to wind up on this one. But I'm going to take Newcastle. They played well last week without St. Max and Isak. I think as long as Callum Wilson's up to the task, this should be an easy win for Newcastle. Brentford coming off that disappointing draw against Bournemouth. Zach? Uh, yeah, Evan, you're right. Newcastle, Brentford, I'm going with the draw. Brentford, a team I struggle to predict. Newcastle, a team I am positive on. Uh, but yeah, I'm going for a draw here. Ideally, nil-nil for the sake of my fantasy team and clean sheet bonuses. I think Newcastle could definitely hold a clean sheet here defensively. They've been very solid, and I love watching them. Kieran Shapiro's crucial uh, cog in their machine. Yeah. I definitely see this being a low-scoring game. I think St. Max may make a return here, finally. Um, may not be a full 90, but still, having him in the team is is electric. Uh, Newcastle Maybe have drawn that out as well. Yeah, he'll also be missing, but Cal Wilson is back, so uh, they have two strong striking options now. Um, Chris Wood will be seeing you. Uh, but Newcastle have drawn their last three home matches, and They've seen under two and a half goals scored in six of their last seven home games. So I think I'm going to ride with Evan here. I got to fade Zach until he gets his first win. Um, I'm going to rock Newcastle too. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, honestly. Fading Zach on all Brentford picks is a good thing to do. He, he struggles to read them. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> well, I probably won't work now. That's what happens. Sooner or later, you're gonna win. Yeah, you will. It was you just know. like Matt and West Ham last year. Like oh, he did. Mate. He did. Mate, I, was, I was like six and twenty. Yeah, he did figure it out though. At the end, you had a. Couple I feel of like going O for the whole year would be more impressive than anything. Oh, honestly, yeah, the strategy right. might be to purposely get Brentford wrong all year. It would be. We'll see how. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm going to draw here though. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's jump into Bournemouth versus Leicester. Ugh, another absolute stinker. 
This one's fairly simple for me. I'm actually not going to dawdle on this one too much. I'm going to take Leicester. I think they, excuse me, continue their form after a good win against Nottingham Forest. I rate Bournemouth in the same category as Nottingham Forest. I know they're much higher in the table, nearly seven point or seven positions above them, but I do think Leicester are a better team on paper, so I'm going to go with Leicester. I agree. I'm sticking with Leicester based on recent run of form, and I think Pats and Daka bags another one and continues to fight for that starting role. Yeah, um, I think and Didi, it's listed here, re-aggravated his hamstring, so oh. he may be out for this game, which would be a big loss, but still, I think Bournemouth, even with Wolves and Forest, I think Bournemouth are the worst attacking team, in my opinion. Um, I, I, this is my joint best team in Leicester. I'm 7-1 and one with them this year. Uh, but I got to ride with Leicester too. I think I think this is another game where they can really open things up. They I, I not even need. I think they have to because having Forest and Bournemouth two promoted teams back to back, they they have to get six points here if they want to climb back up the league. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, okay, let's jump into the next one we have. Ah, here we are. Manchester City taking on Southampton. Don't need the dawdle. Going to take City in this one. You know, I'm going to keep taking City until they show me that they can't, uh, you know, get these sort of wins routinely. I'm also backing City here, but I will briefly dawdle. Uh, My decision for the result may have changed if this game was at Southampton. But at the Etihad, I'm taking uh, Man City here. Yeah. Yeah, City are averaging three and a half goals a game this year so far. Um, credit to Southampton, though. Them and Spurs were the only two teams last year not to lose to City. They they got two draws, a nil-nil at the Etihad, and then a 1-1 draw at St. Mary's. Um, I think with Holland, though, it's going to be a lot different. I think Southampton will put up a good fight knowing what they have to do compared to how United came out. I think the game will be a lot lower of a score, but I still got a back city here. Cool. Um, and then, okay, Zach gave us his pick. Chelsea versus Wolves. This one's tough. Um, I've never I've never seen a clearer Chelsea win in my life. All right, <laughs> let's, let's just go with Chelsea then. I'm I only have Chelsea. one loss. Oh, sorry, you're going Chelsea. Yeah. I only have one loss on my Wolves picks. I've had a pretty good read at their downward spiral all season. And I agree with Matt. I'm going to go with Chelsea. But I think Diego Costa may have a few sights at goal in this one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he's definitely going to get a good uh, applause back in the club or back at his old club. Um, it should be awesome to see him back on the pitch at the bridge. Um, Chelsea, though, a couple injuries of their own. Fofana today tweaked his knee. Um, we're going to have to figure out the severity of that. It's unfortunate. He's been dealing with that injury last year, out all year. Um, we have Chaloba that can come in there. Um, I'm interested to see if we still play that three back against Wolves, who have a lot more of injury issues than we do now. I already mentioned Neves suspended, as well as Collins, uh, Neto, and and uh, Jimenez. They got a lot of issues going forward, obviously. And against a team like Chelsea that has a stable defense, I think we can really ride this one and get another win, hopefully by at least two. Yeah. All right, cool. 
Um, and then where are we at up next? Ah, Brighton Tottenham. Brighton remind me so much of the team Tottenham just played yesterday. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. I am taking a draw in this one. I think Brighton played Liverpool to, you know, pretty much right up to their, their level. And I think Brighton can do it again against Tottenham. It's it's short rest. They've played a lot of games in the last ten days, three games. This will be the third one. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a draw. I think this could be a one one or a two two. Brighton can can stay in games. I think Tottenham struggled to get off the ground quickly. Uh and this could definitely be one where they're playing from behind. So I'll take a draw. Zach. I'm going Spurs by a slim margin here on the road. Uh, there have been over two and a half goals scored in both Brighton and Tottenham's last three games. Brighton are undefeated in 11 of their last 12 matches in the league, as well as Brighton have conceded at least two goals in their last three matches. Um, they're estimating that Kulisevsky may make a return in this game. Uh, we, know Emer- we know Emerson is suspended, so Matt Doherty is probably going to get the run out there. We... I think they're going to have to get the job done with their main three in Sun, Richarlison, and Kane. I think they definitely can. But I think Brighton are still playing playing spoilers to all these big teams. And last year they split results with Spurs, uh, 2-0 losing at the MX and a 1-0 win at, at uh, Tottenham Stadium. Uh, my 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 face value pick. I wanted to go with Brighton. I think coming off that result at Anfield is huge. But I always think that they always play worse at home. So I, I'm going to go with a Tottenham kind of upset in a way. I think they come back into this game just like Liverpool did, but they get the, the win, though. I think that win may come from a, an overdue Lewis dunk hiccup. Well, we, he already scored an own goal this year. Maybe a penalty. Giveaway penalty. Kane seals the deal another late in this Kane game. Pen, another Kane pen. Yeah, that's what I'm smelling from this one. All right, well, that's Saturday done then. Cool. Uh, West Ham versus Fulham first. One of two 9 a.m. games. Uh, We have West Ham traveling. West Ham's hosting. West Ham's hosting. My my app is dead right now. I I see London Stadium. Okay. Right away, right away. And I think Southampton here strong. Or Southampton, West Ham. I think West Ham strong win here. We're still unclear if Mitrovic is going to be able to play. Um, how bad that injury is, we're not sure. Um, still defensively, they have a lot of issues with Robinson, Tete, and now Kurzawa um, picked a bit of a knock in that uh, in that Newcastle game over the weekend. So. They're going to have a lot of issues in the back. West Ham flying, getting two goals past a pretty stout Wolves team throughout the year. Uh, they've been pretty decent in the back. So I think West Ham here with a, a going on a bit of a streak. I... Yeah, I... Oh, okay. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, we're going reverse order. Okay. Um, I'm going towards West Ham in this one. I think they play with a good bit of confidence after last week coming off a home victory. I think they play with strong confidence here. All right, I'm uh I'm gonna do the reverse here. I'm gonna take Fulham straight up. I think this is a spot where West Ham can definitely be susceptible to uh, a Fulham counter here or there. 
Uh, I really like Mitrovic. I think after having a disappointing performance last week, not getting the full run of 90 minutes, that he'll be uh, frothing at the mouth for a goal. So I'm going to take Fulham in this one, mostly because you guys both took West Ham and I need to make up points. Uh, but I actually do think Fulham have a chance at this one. I'll be hoping Fabianski stands on his head in this one. Yeah, yeah. He's going to have to, probably. Maybe a pen save. Who knows? Perhaps. We have Crystal Palace taking on Leeds up next. This is about as clear-cut as it gets. Leeds looked absolutely useless last week against Villa. I think Palace are a better team than Villa. They're much better organized. They have more attacking threats. I think they play better as a unit. All signs point to a Palace victory in this one for me. I agree. I'm I'm going with Palace here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Palace um, defensively, though, having a bit of issues. We saw Anderson missed out on the Chelsea game, who's been a a very stable guy in the back with Guayhi. Klein picked up an injury as well in that game. So they're going to have to be have a bit of flexibility in the back, but like you said, the, the attack going forward is premium for Palace. They're a very underrated team in 17th position that definitely will finish above that come the end of the year. So I think Palace here, and I, there have been over two and a half goals scored in 12 of Leeds' last 15 away matches. So I think Palace here by probably 3-1. Yeah, yeah they have quite the deadly counterattack too. It's going to be a really open game. Yeah, it should be an entertaining watch. The over is definitely in play here. Uh, Talking about another game where I think the over is in play, Arsenal-Liverpool. Wow, dude. I I actually can't wait for this game. I'm declaring it a game of the year. Arsenal are winning this one. It's going to be... These matchups are always fun. They're always fun to watch. Arsenal typically can score a goal. Both teams to score in this one is an absolute lock from hell. Uh, I love Arsenal to win this game. I think Liverpool uh, are beaten. I think they are absolutely disheveled at the back. They seem to be lacking confidence. Uh, I want to see Jesus just... I just want to see him dance in that Liverpool box. I I think he's going to be able to do it. I think they struggle to close down defenders that are technically... or to close down strikers that are technically very good with the ball. And Jesus is one of the best... Uh, close-range dribblers that I've literally ever seen. So I, I think Arsenal are in a great spot here to get a victory, and if they can manage to beat Tottenham and Liverpool in two consecutive weeks, that is uh, quite a quite a uh, undertaking. So I'm going to take Arsenal in this one. I know it's probably a letdown spot for you guys, but I have to trust the boys. Uh, I, I trust the boys too. I'm going with Arsenal in this one, and you were talking about Jesus being great in close quarters on the dribbling. I think Liverpool's going to play them tough, get some fouls in there. It's going to be a chippy one. I think there's going to be one or two set-piece goals in this one, Hmm. uh, more so in the favor of Arsenal, and I think that's the main reason they win this. All right, cool. I'm on the opposite end. I think this is a statement win for Liverpool here that gets them back in the the race a bit. And on the other side, too, I think it's the first slip-up for Arsenal where City are going to climb to the top of the league after this week. So... I think this is a matchup that Liverpool dominated recently. Last year, they beat um, Arsenal 4-0 and 2-0. So I think this is a big week for them, and I think this is a game where they can get that confidence back. I do agree that 
a lot of goals will be let up. So I think this will be maybe like a 3-2, 4-3 type of game. Like you mentioned, a game of the year candidate. candidate. So, but I think Liverpool get the dub. All right, beautiful. Um, I'm I'm hoping you're very wrong. We have Everton taking on Manchester United. I think this is a this is a great spot for United. It's a it's a palate cleanser after the destruction implosion uh, against City. I think United have plenty of attacking options. There's a lot of guys that are even on their bench that I think can do a good job, and I think that they're able to overpower Everton in this one. I know there's probably going to be uh, the the money's probably going to be a little bit more spread around than you would think, just because Everton have had a good week last week. Uh, they beat West Ham the week prior. I, I don't know. Everton are not like in terrible shape. The last game they played before that was a nil nil draw uh, against Liverpool. So I I do think people are going to be expecting something out of Everton. I think that's that's misplaced confidence. I'm going to take United in this one. Yeah, I, I love everything you said about it. Definitely a bounce back game. I think the game plan for this one is to bag one early, ideally from Martial, who I think has a shot at getting a start here cementing his role as the number nine as long as he's fit uh, but yeah i think united grab one early ideally and control this game and drive frank lampard crazy yeah varan picked up a an injury though in that city game so he's going to be out for tomorrow's europa league game giving him time to recover for this matchup we're talking about um they have a lot of injuries in the back line so uh, the odds on this is plus 270 to Everton and plus 100 right now to United. Um, this, out of all the games on the on the slate for the week, I think this is the biggest draw on my board. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a draw here. Disrespectful. All right, uh, <laughs> it's, it's disrespectful. I mean, it's Everton. Ever Everton are. There's a that? reason they finished mid table. Yeah. Everton are undefeated in their last six matches, and there have been under two and a half goals scored in 10 of Everton's last 12 home games. They play significantly better at home with their fans. Yeah. United do United from last year do play a lot better on the road. Um, they're going to have more of the ball, obviously, but I think Everton having that defensive mindset, uh, I think Frank's going to set them up right to get a draw here. All right. Uh, and then our last game Please of the God, week. No. This is the most disgusting, awful, nasty game of the week. Nottingham Forest versus Aston Villa. There is going Monday to, night. There is going to be exactly zero minutes of quality football played in this matchup. I have zero desire to watch it and to keep it a buck with you. I just may not. Uh, with that being said, I am... Oh, I don't even know, dude. You could put a gun to my head and I still wouldn't have an answer for you. I'm going to take Villa. I, I think Nottingham Forest are really that bad. I'm going Villa here too, purely based on their attack. And I think there's going to be more bookings than goals in this one. I, yeah, I, I verbatim agree with Zach there, Villa. All right. Um, that's everything. That That's such a shitty way to end the episode with that dog <laughs> shit matchup. Quick one. I mean, all my picks, I'm putting myself out there to either have a phenomenal week or the worst week of the year. So, and I'm okay with that. I yeah. love it. That's just the way that you have to have to pick. Honestly, you have to trust your gut. So I think, um, yeah, I think we, I, I was just going to say, I think Saturday we're all looking similar. Sunday's a bit everywhere. And then 
Monday nights all there. So I, I think this is a big week. I think uh, Villa can really open things up. I, I do think Forrest right now should be the lead candidate to get dropped. And uh, right now I'm looking on, yeah, on, on FanDuel, it's minus 250 for Forrest, minus 210 for Bournemouth, and then the next is Southampton at plus 170. Bournemouth are minus 210 sitting at 13th on the table. Yep. Wow. I mean, the, Lest- the value there is Le- terrible. Leicester is fourth best. Really? 230 plus, and then Wolves plus 270. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, and then the the Liverpool-Arsenal game, I was going to say, right now, Arsenal are slim favorites, plus 155. Oh, yeah, love the plus to, money double. Uh, to Liverpool, plus 165. What's the draw? 260. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely love it. You sprink a little bit on each, and, you know, tip it a little bit in what, what team you think is actually going to win. I, I think, I'm so excited for this game. I think Man City have the biggest favorite so far this year at minus 850 over wow. Southampton. Fair. I could, I, could, I could be wrong. I think the Liverpool-Bournemouth one was around 900. Are the goal scorer odds on there yet? Uh, yeah. Hold yeah. on here. Anytime. Erling Holland minus 260. That is the highest you are ever going to find of any player in the next 15 years. <laughs> I I assure you. You don't you don't even see that for I didn't even see that for Ronaldo when he was at his, you know, when he was playing every game for Juve. I didn't I don't see that for Messi. Messi was plus money to score today for PSG and he did. So just everybody, you know, consider that. He it pretty much is a lock at this point that that Ronaldo does Ronaldo does have the best odds to score against Everton. Fire. Plus, plus 110. I don't understand how they do that. They have guys that play 10 minutes a game have better odds than midfielders. No, I don't I don't know. I don't understand it, but you know. Whatever. Um all right guys, that's everything. That's all we got for you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you check us out on social media at post20pod on Twitter, on Instagram. You can also find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. If you are interested in listening to past episodes of the show, that's where we post everything. So you guys can go ahead, head over there, make sure you check everything out, follow us, like I said, um, and tune in next week. We'll be back to uh, discuss games we just talked about. Uh, Everybody stay safe in the meantime. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you next week.